Hi, I'm John Fallon. And I'm Tobias Dobie. And welcome to the Good Game Podcast. This is a podcast with two teachers talking about how games are changing education for the better. Tobias, uh, welcome back. How are things going over in Norway? It's good. Still good. It's December. Christmas is coming. Uh, we, we just put up our Christmas decorations just a couple of days ago. So, yeah, trying to like <laughs> and summon forth the Christmas mood, so to speak. Yeah, I think we, uh, I was definitely feeling pretty Norwegian um, over the weekend when uh, we took my two daughters to go see Frozen 2. Oh, that's nice. Um, so we got our, our Scandinavian um, kind of jam on, which was nice. Um, All right. How, yeah, how was it? We, it's good. It's actually, you know, I mean, it, it definitely, it, it's a sequel, so it's not as good as the original. Um, but I think it has, it has a lot of great moments in it that I think are... I'm such a bad Norwegian. I haven't even seen the first one. What? Are you allowed to <laughs> be know. Norwegian? I don't think so. They revoke, revoke my. They're going to revoke my Norwegian license. <laughs> yeah. No. It's it, it's fun. Like if you, um, yeah, if you like the first one, you should definitely see it. Whether you have to see it in theaters, it's mm. up to you. I have a a two year old daughter and a four year old four year yeah. year old daughter, so I had no choice. No, but that's. I think that's that's uh, Disney Pixar, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's I, yeah. Uh, I think I think they managed to like make movies that are enjoyable both for kids and adults oh no it was perfect there's tons of adult stuff so and that's so cool how that slips under the radar of most children but as you adult you can appreciate those things oh yeah no there is i at least how i interpret it there's a ton of political commentary (laughs) that you know was obviously way above a a four-year-old's head yeah that's cool um but yeah, it was fun. There and uh, Christoph gets uh, an '80s power ballad style uh, song, which I personally enjoyed. I thought it was hilarious. So nice. there's good stuff. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, it's nice. I've been playing more more board games than digital games lately, actually. Um, oh, well, lucky you. Yep. <laughs> Aren't you? Yeah, your daughters are a little too young to be enjoying the heavy heavy board game stuff. I can imagine. Yeah, I, I I did you know inspired by Disney Plus and The Mandalorian, um, I did decide to pull the trigger on introducing Star Wars to my daughters, and I've, I'm happy to report they are very much into it. Have watched the original trilogy at least twice through now, um, and what brought tears to my eyes is when I asked my daughter if she wanted to watch Star Wars, and she goes, "Yes, I want to watch the one with the snow," and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> nice. you are my daughter." for picking the best one empire strikes back <laughs> um so yeah so things are things are pretty good over here but um um our guest uh dr uh i believe she goes by cat now actually we should probably correct that cat um ha- has just brought out her new book uh learning education and games volume three and i've described it uh as a game-based learning gold mine because i think it's it's harder to imagine kind of like if I had to just drop one text on a, on a, on a, especially a new game-based learning interested teacher, like just drop one right in front of them and say, Hey, you know, you can just grab something out of here and try it out. It would probably be that. And I think that's definitely the target audience as well. Yeah. Um, so let me find. I think that's, I think, um, the book is is laid out in the precisely correct way because it's um as far as i can remember most of um, the chapters are quite short yes they're but, very short. and and i think the key to like um a good a good lesson on uh, with with the video game or a good way to approach it is just to give the teacher just enough to like spark an idea mm-hmm. and then like good teachers or teachers in general uh, almost no matter how much gaming experience you have you can if, if you just like get a few sow a few seeds then they can probably get enough ideas to like make the the lesson their own instead of like sticking to a very strict you know uh, pre-made lesson plan so to speak I don't, I don't know if you've ever like borrowed someone else's powerpoint or borrowed someone else's um, lesson plan but for to me it's just it just doesn't work i have to like make it my own and somehow i think that that this book really really is a great aid for teachers who want to use games but also and to give them just enough so they can make it their own yeah and before we get into it further uh, i should probably mention it, it is free um and we'll i'll post the links i've been posting most of our links on the facebook page 
Uh, so if you guys have not uh, gone and, and joined the Facebook page, it's at facebook.com slash goodgamepod. So I usually, underneath the episode link, I, I post all the links of uh, the, the kind of resources that we bring up. And I'll tweet yeah. this out as well. And I have been you know, pretty much every day since yeah. it came out. Um, yeah, it's it's free. There's a ton of good stuff in here. There's no reason if you're just slightly interested in games and learning. There's no reason for you to don't just to not download this and just skim through it. And you're, I can probably guarantee you'll find something that piques your interest. Oh yeah, I mean it's organized by you know subject matter as well as age. You know, kind of target audience as far as age and, and classrooms. Every single entry has like these great like info boxes about. Um, the game and information, the platforms, the genre, type of game, the big curricular connections, possible skills, you know, th- how long the game takes, where you could play it, the cost, you know, so there's like just, it's laid out in a way to make it like a very digestible kind of appetizer, if you will. Um, kind of going back to what you said before about there's just enough there for you to get started um, and then kind of see like, oh, I could see how this could work in my classroom. And I'm looking at uh, Paul Darvazi's entry about what remains of Edith Finch. Um, you know, remember him from episode one. And he, uh, I would say, looking at his entry and look about the same as mine on her story, it's maybe a thousand words, um, including pictures. But, uh, you know, it, it's laid out really on how to use it. So there's a quick summary of the game. And then the biggest section is how to use the game. It's like, okay, here's how. I used it and here's how you could use it in all kinds of different ways. Very straight, very to the point. There's no theory or kind of, you know, you know, kind of uh, theory crafting like that. And then it's got a tips and best practices. So all of these are ones that are, are games that have been used in the classroom and they're, they're authored by teachers. And in some cases, the developers um, who have already used it and said, hey, this was the experience and here's what you should look out for, here's what worked well, here's stuff to think about. Further reading, you know, more related games, uh, many of which are are also featured in this volume or previous volumes. So again, it is designed for teachers and educators uh, to to get started, but also also to to look for other options. Yeah, speaking of, of, uh, now we're on topic, going off our script a little bit here for this this intro um regarding like this this discourse on game-based learning in a general sense do you or how's your impression are we um is the discourse um centered enough centered on not only game-based learning but game-based teaching because teaching and learning are two very inter- interconnected phenomena or, or practices or or whatever you want to call it um are we are we do you think that the discourse is focused enough on the teaching part, like the other side of the coin, so to speak? I think we're getting there. I mean, it's certainly even in my own practice, like I feel I'm just beginning to see maybe like the outlines of what best practices are. Um, I mean, I would be very skeptical of anyone who says, oh, this is how you do game-based learning. And, you know, and here's the system. Here's like the pedagogy. Like, I think that's a growing space um so yeah i I guess i would say not yet i think we're getting there um but but because to me when reading up on some earlier earlier research on game on games and learning uh with working with my phd i get the impression that the researchers are very focused on i'm obviously generalizing now but researchers are very often very focused on the artifact itself and the connection between the game and and the students but not that much on like how teachers um incorporate a video game into their pedagogical design because you have to of course connect the video game to many other different tasks or assignments or artifacts or texts or whatever what have you um because that's like teaching is a big part of teaching is a design process teach designing activities that will hopefully result in learning so for me that's where games come in it's like one ingredient in me making my assignments um mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know how you approach your games or your games in your classroom well you know as, as an english teacher and also just like my personal perspective on games and learning is i definitely approach them i think very similar to what you just said you know as a text 
and you know so it, it's something that I could use in many ways and I look at my uh, at my students and I think okay what skills what ideas what themes do I want to put in front of them and then in many cases not all cases um, you know uh, say like okay a game would be really great for this um, and it would be um, you know as I do with my her story unit I use it in a series of texts so it literally is just a piece of that puzzle um, and yeah, it doesn't domin dominate the pedagogy element. It, it just kind of fits in as content that I want to use to teach skills. So like I said, I don't, I don't really see, I don't really, definitely don't see best practices specifically around teaching games yet. I think we need more data no. essentially. Yeah. And I, I think if there are, if there is such a thing, such a thing as best practices, um, very often it often like goes with, go falls into already existing best practices within within whatever subject you're talking about because mm -hmm. games can mean so many different things depending on what subject you incorporate them into or how what the relationship what kind of relationship the ship your students have with that particular game or with gaming in general and also how you see the game like um so there's the, the context is, is uh, I, I I wish we emphasized context even more or, or rather the field of research on games and learning emphasized context even more than they already do. Yeah, I think we'll get there. I mean, I think in many ways, like it's it's thinking of context. Like I just got back from uh, the National Coalition of Teachers of English conference, and like it seems like that at least in, in English teacher world. We're really just diving into that element of thinking about the context of the text. You know, the, a lot of the conversation was around the diversifying the canon, you know, and it's like, okay, don't just teach To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, teach To Kill a Mockingbird and then put it in conversation with these other texts about, you know, race and racism in America, mm. um, you know, to kind of yeah. contextualize that experience. And so, so if English teachers are just getting to it, you know, um, I think we've got I, some time before games specifically will get there. There's a there's a similar process going on in Norway where we're just next year getting new curricula for most of the grades except from second and third year of high school. Um, mm -hmm. And now the, the Norwegian, like at least the curriculum for Norwegian class explicitly says that like, Yes, you're supposed to read older texts, but you're also explicitly told to put them into a modern context, a contemporary context, mm -hmm. in addition to reading them um, with yeah, with with their like their their like period in mind. So both mm -hmm. like texts from like, let's say the late 1800s in Norway, supposed to like read them. Okay, what what's the situation like the political and social situation in Norway at that point, but also how does this text relate to modern Norway? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's it's it's very nice to see that get so explicitly mentioned because I think that's that's how you, you should approach texts texts in literature class. Yeah, it's 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 always good to, to kind of look at the you know not just the critical elements but the curricular elements because. Yeah. You know what you choose to read, even if you vary up how you do it. You know certainly takes up a lot of a lot of room, if you will. Um, and and you know teachers know you only have you think the, the school year seems very long until you start planning out. You know all your units, and you realize how quickly it all gets gobbled up. Um, so you know, so do you see that games are already beginning to have a different effects because this is kind of like your this is kind of like your wheelhouse where you you know games and, and ethics and and uh you know um cat later uh as our guest is going to talk about empathy but mm. so do you do you see like versus a really good literary text that's supposed to teach you about the you know ways to make decisions look at the world mm. with ethics have you begun to see or, ha or have stronger feelings about you know, kind of look again, going back to the other side, but the learning side about learning ethics yeah. through the interactive medium. So um, this has to do with my my kind of path or journey through uh, the field of games to learn it, because I was um, when I was starting out, I was um, not necessarily more enthusiastic than I'm now, but I was enthusiastic in a different way where I almost um, 
for lack of a better word, a bit naive uh, and, and like overconfident in the effect of gains and learning. And that took a while, just didn't take that, take that long before I realized that, oh, I still have to put in a lot of work myself. I mm-hmm. can't just rely on whatever like effect the video game has on me and re- just assume that this would have the effect on students. So whenever I, I read, um, uh, let's say a headline or, or of an article or read an abstract in a research article that says mm-hmm. video games teach so and so i go well that depends because um there's no uh, as i'm sure you agree there's no like um guarantee or like no, no like o- o- automatic process mm-hmm. when you sit down playing the game oh no, no i teach this uh, no you know i learned this from playing this game so it's um for me it's about thinking how I can use the interactive aspects of the game uh, in a way that benefits my class. When, so when it comes to ethics, what, how I think about this is, um, let's say, take the video game like The Walking Dead, which is what me and my colleagues use when we teach a moral philosophy in a religious mm-hmm. studies class. Um, so the, if, if you haven't, if for those of you in the audience who haven't played The Walking Dead, it's basically like this interactive um, interactive uh, branching story where you at certain points you have to do, make a decision difficult decision in a dilemma yeah it's basically moral yeah. dilemma after moral dilemma yeah spiced we, up with spiced up with yeah. zombies yes and and with most importantly with the story connecting them mm-hmm. um and what this does is that instead of um asking my students oh what what should this and this person have done it lets me ask my students okay guys what are we going to do now and why yep. and that's that's such a different question to ask because it's the, 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 the consequences aren't known yet. And it's, it, it, it like anchors and you're also confronted with the choices you made earlier in the game. So the video game like anchors the discussion, not only in here and now, but also in there and then. And that's, yeah. that changes the, the, the dynamics of the classroom discussion. And that's where, yeah, in in a way that I think benefits the students' learning because it engages them, engages them like mentally in a different way. Yeah, the interactivity is like is like the point because you know ethics is about making choices, and that game you have to make choices, as opposed to about you know being kind of walked through a series of theoretical choices, like you would if you were reading you know a, a philosophical text. Um, yeah, I think, I think you, you make a really good point and, and Kat in the, um, in the interview uh, says the same thing. Like sometimes you may go through like a series of choices as- assessing that and, and a game might not be the best, um, choice for that. And mm. I think, I think your yeah. example about Walking Dead is a good example of that does make sense for that content, yes. that class, that experience that you're trying to create. Yeah, and, and also I'm, um, she says in uh, um, in your talk in your conversation that that um, what like kind of put her off um, history and social studies when she was a student or high school oh I think high school student was that mm-hmm. uh, like this the stories disappeared. And, yeah, and this I I think for at least for me personally, video games are a great way to introduce stories, reintroduce stories into my classes. Mm-hmm. Um, not like non non in all subjects and not all the time, but but when they fit the curriculum in some way or when they fit whatever activity I had planned, um, video a good video game story can take you a long way. Um, yeah, and I I don't necessarily buy the idea that video games mo- like motivate students to learn because they can motivate the students to just play the game and forget about the, forget about the learning. Um, but I think good video games with the correct group can make uh, like a situational engagement like being yeah. being hooking people in the here and now and and, and if, if and if you have engaged them hook them then there's it's it's easy for them easier to get them engaged in the actual learning activities like discussion for instance i think another thing that kind of touches on the use of games in general is that What's great about games is that it instantly gives stakes to what you're doing. And I think that to me, at least in just my personal perspective of, you know, modern education is, is kind of like you just said, you know, the stories start to disappear. Well, you know, so does like the agency and, you know, the, the, the stakes of education. I mean, it's all theoretical. 
you know, we're told students nothing you're going to say in here is going to matter outside the classroom, you know. And but in a game through this kind of like, you know, fictional portal, suddenly your decisions do matter. Um, and I think that I I would say that can't be underestimated. I think that that adds an element that I think does make a big difference for how yeah. students engage with the material. Yeah, I completely agree. And and that example from The Walking Dead. Um, you have you have to like make a decision on let's say two per two people are attacked by zombies to i mean no it's a, like absurd example but it still in, illustrates what you're saying because you can only choose to save one of them oh my has... gosh that character <laughs> if i if i'm thinking the same way as it like the girl or the boy yeah oh my gosh i save the girl and that that leads to one of the most powerful emotional moments i've ever had in, in like a game i was literally floored mm. um yeah, so I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, so so it's it's so easy for especially people like outside of games to like think that games are trivial, but like when you engage like really deeply with with these fictional characters and you you actually care about how your choices affect them, um, that's a different kind of engagement than how you engage with with non-interactive fiction. Yeah, there there was a great article. I'll post it on the Facebook page. There's a great article I remember reading about one of the other Telltale games, um, my favorite one, The Wolf Among Us, and talking about how much of the narrative for them was filtered through trying to get the approval of the Snow White character. That there's like it was this completely fictional character that you know, even minutes before you know you had no idea maybe even existed. But it just did a great job of creating stakes, like I said before, that already not only was a, the, the, the decisions you had to make, but you were really began to care about how the characters reacted to it, mm. which is something that a traditional narrative can't really do. Um, yeah, I, I remember just... And that really matched mine, yeah. Yeah, I even now, um, I mentioned in the introduction, um, I've been playing quite a lot of board games lately. Um, me and a couple of friends have just started playing um, a new, like, choose your adventure kind of, start, kind of board game called uh, Tainted Grail, um, which is like a fantasy RPG, choose your adventure, dark fantasy thing, which is really, really good. And at one point, um, you get to this village where... If you ask the villagers for help, they might get mad because they realize that uh, you have like already have more stuff than them, so they try to chase you away. And if one of your characters has like too much in the aggression stats, then you basically beat the crap out of these poor villagers, and you have no choice because yeah, one of your characters can't control himself. And we like we felt terrible <laughs> when we read that that paragraph in like this this storybook because like we looked at each other and went like we're we're horrible people. <laughs> and this and this was like just a few paragraphs of text. Um, granted, we were quite already quite invested in the story at this point, but like this is just a simple like a board game can if a board game can do can do this. Like imagine what like a high fidelity video game can do. Uh, yeah, I just want uh, I, I won't go into as much detail as planning, but I do want to mention to people that there is uh, a company called Zachtronics, which is uh, a maker of, of pretty um, well liked, usually puzzle style games. Um, but they also the, what got my attention is they just released this year a visual novel that it has a really cool. Um, aspect where you kind of play a human who is essentially being the mouthpiece for an AI therapist and it gets into really cool themes about mental health and you know, empathy and things that, that you'll hear about with the interview coming up but the other big thing is they recently also decided that they would make available all of their games or, or I should say any of their games free to educators so if you want to take a look and if you see one of those games uh, that you would think would make a, be a good fit for your classroom, if you go to zachtronics.com slash zachademics, and again, I'll post this on the Facebook page and on Twitter, you can, they have a whole forum that you can email them, tell them like what you're going to do with it, and then you kind of go through that process of verification, uh, which is really cool. And I hope this becomes a trend because um, I think that's just the direction it needs to go where, you know, the same way you can get uh text free or cheaper for your classroom you know video games should go the mm. same way i love when the developers do that i mean 
it's it's already difficult enough to get like the logistics part of games learning is already difficult enough so i, I just love it when when developers like reach that out that reach reach out to to educators like that yeah and also they do my part and you know probably buy their co- uh, buy a copy for myself you know at, at price um you know if i plan on using uh eliza which is the name of the game um in my in my classroom or for one of my things that's uh that's just a cool way to kind of pay it forward because um yeah it is it is kind of like above and beyond the call of duty at least right now hopefully it becomes more normal but um certainly right now it is so i can hear my family going nuts upstairs so um we'll we'll begin to hand uh hand it off uh tbs do you have any final thoughts before we um take it on over to the to our guest no, I think we're ready for uh, for your chat with uh, with Kat. Okay, go do your patriotic duty and watch Frozen. Uh, so coming yeah, up now uh, is uh, Dr. Uh, Kat uh, Schreier, who um, is going to have some really interesting uh, stuff to say about games and empathy, both kind of the benefits, but also kind of uh, what the limits might be. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy. Today's guest is Dr. Karen Schreier. She is an associate professor of games and interactive media, the director of the Play Innovation Lab, and the director of the Games and Emerging Media Program at Marist College. She is the author of Knowledge Games, and she has previously edited two book series, Ethics and Game Design, as well as Learning, Education, and Games. Volume 3 of Learning, Education, and Games is has just come out uh, about a week or two ago and contains many chapters from uh, guests on the show uh, that have been on this season and in future seasons, uh, Tobias and myself included, that are excellent guides with teacher-focused instructions on how to implement a wide variety of games in the classroom. Definitely check it out because we're actually going to talk about it a little bit more um, in a few minutes. Recently, uh, she was an uh, ADL fellow and authored a report for the Anti-Defamation League titled Designing Ourselves, Identity, Bias, Empathy, and Game Design that dives deeply into the emotional possibilities of games. Dr. Karen Shire, welcome to the Good Game Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, Tobias and I have been um, definitely, you were one of the first names that we thought of, of kind of getting into kind of empathy and the, the potential of games, but... Uh, before we get into your work on games and empathy, how, how did you find your way into the world of games and learning? Wow. Well, so I've always loved playing games. I'm sure like most kids and certainly my own kids, I spent lots of time when I was growing up playing games and loved them. Um, but I never realized that I could make a career out of it. And in fact, when I went to college, there was no such thing as like a games major, for example. But after I started, you know, going out into the world and seeing what was out there, I realized that being a designer and creating experiences for others is actually a a possible job that people can do, which was just, you know, everything I've always wanted. What's nice about being a game designer and creating these kinds of experiences for others is that it's kind of like a little bit of everything. So I like pretty much everything like I like film I like technology I like computer programming I like art I like writing you know so what's nice is that games kind of mixes it all and makes you think about humans and what human beings really want uh, in an engaging experience so that part was so important to me but then so you have the creative part and the technical part that I love But then the thinking about how people learn and how people grow and how people get inspired and connected was sort of the other part of it. So I I wanted to make games and I wanted them to be engaging and entertaining for people. But I also wanted to feel like I was contributing to the world and helping people become their better, you know, better aspects of themselves and to learn and to develop. So mixing those two together was just like a really amazing way to kind of bring together all of my interests and all of my values and then to be able to share my creativity with the world in a way that i knew would better the world 
So was there uh, a particular game or, or type of game, uh, you know, when you were growing up and playing games that maybe it was kind of like a, maybe it was in retrospect that you kind of looked back and was like, oh, that's, you know, there is something really quote unquote serious here about, about the game playing experience that might, you know, uh, turn into something, uh, you know, later in life. Well, I definitely played a lot of educational games growing up, though. They didn't necessarily call them that, you know, the typical Oregon Trail and mm -hmm. Carmen San Diego games that people play when they're, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s um, childhood. But I also remember we would get the subscription where it would kind of come on this floppy disk and you played just a bunch of different educational games. Like you'd learn about fractions or you'd learn about math, mm -hmm. um, other kind of math um, aspects. And, and I love those too. I mean, I didn't really distinguish between, you know, Legend of Zelda and Super Mario Brothers and like playing these like really educational games. I just loved all games. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was very into school i don't <laughs> i don't know how else to say it like i like to read i could sit there reading almanacs all day you know i was very curious about the world uh you know whether it's you know reading books or reading maps i just love that kind of stuff so it wasn't a hard sell for me to play things that were edifying and ultimately all games are edifying in, in you know different ways i mean you could play super mario brothers or legend of zelda and definitely learn from those as well it just depends on like what your goals are and what you're trying to learn um at the very least you're learning how to play the game but uh you know i think that as i got older i started to realize that some topics maybe weren't as interesting to me and I kind of question like, well, how come I used to love that when I was a kid, but now that I'm older, I don't like it anymore. And like, how can I make others have that curiosity and interest and like recapture that love that I had for those topics when I was a kid and making games made sense to me. So when I got to MIT as a graduate student, I thought about, you know, the moment kind of my lost interest in history, because I had always been interested in history and social studies and geography. But then when I started getting into junior high and, and high school, I guess they call it middle school now, um, I, I stopped having as much of a passion for it. And I think it was because it was still focused on memorizing a bunch of facts and figures and dates and are, you know, who was the general and what, mm -hmm. when did the war take place? And I just, I wasn't interested. I, you know, it wasn't about people. It wasn't about stories anymore. It wasn't about places and, and cultures and learning about people and how they interact. And so I decided to make a game. It was one of the first games um, that was on a mobile device that was location-based. And this was back in 2005 and it was before there were even iPhones. So we had to use Palm Pilots and a separate <laughs> GPS device and it was super clunky, but it worked. I mean, it actually worked depending on where you stand, you stood in a location, different information would pop up on your screen. And I used that to teach history. So I created a game called Reliving the Revolution and it was about Battle of Lexington and it took place in Lexington, Massachusetts, and it, you know, only could take place there. And it would basically helped people recreate the stories that came from that battle. And there was sort of like a history and mystery that was involved in it, where the students that were playing had to kind of figure out who fired the first shot at the battle. And as you know, some people know, like that's not actually a solved problem. Like we yeah. don't actually know who fire the first shot. So there are like a lot of different valid interpretations. And so the students were learning how to interpret evidence and evaluate data and try to, um, you know, reimagine people's perspectives. And through that came up with their own interpretation of the past. And it worked out really well and it was really exciting and it really opened my eyes to the ways that games can support learning. Yeah, that's interesting because I can already begin to see uh, the path that kind of leads you to some of the things that we'll talk about uh, in a second uh, when it comes to, you know, history lacking context when it's just facts and figures, um, which I think I agree is not only boring, but I think really misses 
um, you know, the important part of studying history is to learn, you know, the whys and the context of, of what happened. And that, that example with you know, trying to figure out the first shot at Lexington is a really good example because there's so many moments where, you know, those types of decisions and, and you know, maybe lack of information about those decisions, you know, affects all, all kinds of different things, uh, you know, throughout history. Um, and, you know, I, I also, uh, really like you talking about, you know, games always teaching, you know, I, I, I say it a lot, you know, that all games teach, it's just a matter of, of what they teach, um, you know, depending on, on what exact game it is. But before we get into some of um, your work for the ADL, um, so from your perspective and your research and experience um, in your career, you know, why do you think teachers should incorporate games into their teaching, you know, big picture, you know, why, why should they make room for that in their curriculum compared to, books or documentaries or, or anything that's kind of more traditional in the curriculum? Well, actually, I don't really think that they should uh, use games. I think that they should think about the ways that they want to teach and decide if games are another possible way to do that. Uh, you know, it's never a good idea to just say, well, you got to use games because they're so cool and they're so innovative and they're totally going to change things. Like that's not, you know, that's not a good way to teach at all. And that's not, I mean, even if you said you got to use books and just the best way to do it, you know, it, it's never, it's never about just like using a medium for the medium's sake. It's about using a particular tool or a particular, um, topic or particular exercise or activity or, or experience like a game um, perhaps um, because it fits the needs of your audience it, it fits the needs of your uh, curriculum and it fits into the context you know some games aren't going to work you know and, and um, for whatever topic or whatever audience you have and some games may work for one class and you're like oh this is so great my sixth graders in this particular social studies class are loving this but then like the next period they it may not work because the students are you know just came back from lunch or something and they're just you know they're just not in the right zone for it who knows right so it's just or you have just like a different dynamic in your classroom and it, it's just you know they they can't they can um get what you want out of a game so i i really think it's about matching what you want to do um to you know what you want to teach um and then finding the right solution for that so you know creating the right experience and the experience is not just the game it's also the teacher and how the teacher uses the game and adapts it and and has a dialogue with it really because you as a teacher if you're using a game in a classroom things are going to go wrong things, things are going to go right things are going to be surprising and you kind of have to be kind of flexible in how you approach it and also how you can glean the the, the you know help your students glean learning from it because uh, it may not be what you expect and, and the students may learn something you don't expect from it. Um, so I would say like using games is great if it works, if it's well designed for the purpose, um, but that, you know, teachers should be thinking about games as, as another possible way, you know, besides books and, and other exercises and in-person you know, work workshops or whatever it is that, you know, they want to do. It just, it's like another thing that they could think about. But again, it needs to be designed for for the purpose. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. That, and that is definitely a theme that has come up with a lot of other guests uh, on the podcast, which is, you know, designing for your environment and looking at your students, at your school, your culture, your, your community, and figuring out what works best. And, and that's one of the things that I really like about um, you know, the, the books that you've edited, you know, uh, specifically, you know, uh, uh, learning education and games is that it really tries to bridge that gap between teachers who are like, okay, I'm interested, but I don't have a gaming background or, you know, you know, I have a lot of my plate and only a little bit of time and, and finding a way to say, okay, here's a small thing. It's designed for, you know, a teacher's perspective. Here you go. So, um, again, another shout out for that resource, because it definitely, if you feel that, you really want to try this out. You think it might work for your classroom, but you don't know where to start. That is definitely one of the best uh, starting points uh, out there. 
But uh, all right, let's talk about your report uh, for the ADL. You open the report by saying, it may be surprising to hear that games, of all things, can help support connection and compassion. So why do you uh, assume a general audience of teachers, parents, and other educational stakeholders would be surprised by that sentiment? Well, I think that, you know, I, I was, I've, I've been writing for 15 years now on how games can support learning and specifically learning of history, learning of ethics, learning of empathy. And people kind of are a little shocked by that. But I think that part of it is that what gets in the news and what gets out there and what gets spread is sort of the negative parts of games, which, you know, could be valid. You know, some of them are problematic. Like, for example, the EDL just released a report last week on online gaming and harassment in those games. And they found that, for instance, 53% of online multiplayer games who were experiencing harassment were feeling like they were targeted because of their identity of some, in some ways. So their race, their religion, their gender. 73% um, of online multiplayer um, game, um, game players felt like that they had been harassed in some way. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a huge number, right? I mean, that's, you know, 65% of players were having some kind of severe harassment through online gaming. I mean, that includes like things like physical threats, stalking. I mean, 65% of online gamers that they that they interviewed. And that's a huge number. Like clearly there are some really awful things that are happening in games and other communities. I mean, it's not just games. Games are communities, but it's, it's offline communities and online communities of other kinds as well. So, you know, it's um, it's no wonder that people feel like, you know, games can support compassion. Like, how is that possible when we hear so much about the toxicity? And there is toxicity in these environments. On the other hand, the same report found some really positive things about what was happening in games. Um, you know, things like people making friends and people finding partners and people feeling like they belonged. I mean, so it's like on the one hand, you know, you get the really like cruel side of humanity in games and just like you would in any other um, community. And then you get like the really positive pro-social parts of humanity in games. And, you know, they're both high, but like what gets in the news, you know, what's getting like, like I opened USA Today and like the front page was about all the toxicity in games based on this report. You know, that's what gets written about rather than just the like, you know, also the positive things, the pro-social aspects of gaming, how people are helping each other out in a game online. So, you know, I think as a result, people are kind of getting that information, you know, unless they're playing games a lot and, and really experts in it, they're going to expect that it's mostly a, a place of just you know, cruelty and toxicity. But um, my goal is to show how it can be used for good and for social change um, while being mindful to the fact that there are some negative aspects as well. Yeah, and I, I talked a lot about this with Kelly Dunlap um, in, in another episode about, you know, media biases and yeah, the, 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 the most dramatic, um, you know, kind of, conflict-oriented things are going to make the news and the more calming, more peaceful things typically don't don't make the headlines. Um, so yeah, I think it was really good that you kind of addressed that conception, you know, right away um, and did your best to kind of untangle uh, the fact and the fictions, uh, but also looked at, yeah, it's nuanced. Any, any human, you know, um, you know, any human context is going to have good and bad. And, 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 you know, one th thing I was thinking of is that, you know, looking at bias, like if you, if you looked at like, you know, white supremacists and neo-Nazi communities, what's one of the things that they have a ton of, you know, books and literature, you know, that's how they spread the, you know, their messages. But no one would look at that and say like, well, there's a problem with books. 
you know, it's it's like, okay, what is the human elements here that, you know, that we have to be uh, careful about at the same time? There are things about online environments, particularly, you know, the spread and the anonymity that it provides that are unique to those and, and addressing those is, is a really important thing. Um, so let's actually kind of uh, dive into that aspect. Because um, I think the empathy aspect of games is really powerful and, and not really recognized even by many who, who are open to game-based learning. Uh, in the same ADL report you wrote, uh, we have found that some games, under certain conditions, can provide insight into humanity, including different identities, perspectives, emotions, and ways of solving problems. They can enable players to experiment with their own or others' identities. They can enable empathetic interactions with other players, and they can immerse players in new worlds, systems, and mindsets. Games can serve, serve as a way of opening conversations with young people about what matters to them and why, end quote. So I think that's fantastic. So tell me more about those, those, you know, some games, certain conditions. There's a lot of qualifiers there uh, in addition to kind of the uh, kind of optimistic um, possibilities. Yeah, so, I mean, same kind of thing where, you know, if you have a well-designed game for the right audience in the right context, it can help people to kind of step outside themselves for a moment and start to take on new perspectives and to feel what others might feel and to care about what they feel and to want to help them and want to take care of them and build a relationship with them and, and empathize with them. I, you know, I think those are kind of like the, the building blocks, the, the skills that you need to start to develop empathy for others and games can possibly you know provide that um, they can put you in a new situation in a new mindset in a new way of thinking that you felt maybe was really sort of like othered maybe very different from what you're used to and just having that time within that world and having more familiarity with it Sort of lessens that oh i'm this way and you're that way kind of feeling and starts to bridge the gap you know starts to have less othering and and more okay you know i'm, I'm more open to this other perspective than i was before um you know on the other hand though uh you know there's there's problems with that um it could backfire very you know as I said, it depends on the conditions, it depends on the, the people playing it, it depends on the interactions. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's, there's an, I, you know, there's, again, there's very little research on this right now. So, and the research that is out there is contradictory and you know, people have argued, for example, that that taking on a perspective of someone else and then, you know, kind of jumping into their body and then jumping out of it is is kind of uh, monstrous in a way that, you know, you're kind of trying on someone else's mindset and then you take it off and you're like, all right, I don't you know, you don't have to continue to live like them and you don't have to feel, you know, maybe, you know, marginalized in, in that way and in an everyday way. And. And so you may kind of uh, not take that perspective as seriously because it's you're just trying it on like a costume, you know, just um, you know, just temporarily. And it's it's um, it's maybe even a form of violence to do that to take on um, you know someone who is oppressed in some way. And um, and so I do write about that in in my uh in my paper that you know there's sort of like there is research that says that perspective taking can can help narrow the gap between other and self and help people feel like they're all you know part of humanity and to see the humanity in others and then there's you know other researchers who argue that it's it's really problematic and oppressive to take on others perspectives so you know, and sometimes they, they do backfire. Um, for example, there was a game that was trying to teach people about what it feels like to be, uh, you know, not able to uh, walk and, you know, being in a wheelchair and, 
and people played that game and instead of acting uh, more, uh, I don't know, empathetic and, and, and pro, you know, engaging in pro-social behavior, um, they, they actually did the opposite because they were so overwhelmed and they were so feeling so just emotional and like, oh, it's so hard, you know, just feeling like it was so horrible to be in a wheelchair that they, that they couldn't, they actually spoke less to people in wheelchairs. Um, so, you know, it's, it could, it could backfire in, in ways that it shouldn't, um, you know, and they take games like, for example, Spent, which is this online game it's you know very you have to make these simple choices between how you're going to spend your money over the course of a month and it's supposed to be teaching people how to be more empathetic to folks who are dealing with financial uh inequity so people who are just having trouble um you know getting out of poverty like like just being able to pay the bills yeah like um, like how hard it is to be able to pay the bills when you don't have a lot of money and and just the, the, you know, the goal was to help people empathize with that, but it actually backfired, you know, because, um, you know, it, for a specific type of people. So the people that thought that, who already thought going into the game, that being um, someone who has money and can make it through the month and can pay their bills, uh, that it's just, you know, based on a, your own choice and that you have control over it and that, you know, it's a live in a meritocracy and if you just work hard enough you know you can get by those folks felt like playing the game just affirmed their notion that well see if you just make the right choices and you don't you know spend spend money on your kids then you'll get through the month and you'll be fine when like we know that it's just it's systemic like you can't just make the right choices like bad things happen and there's this you know systemic oppression and and getting out of poverty is nearly impossible. And it's, you know, it's not just about making the right choices, but, but because the game just kind of gave you these choices and it felt, you felt like you had control over them. Uh, it, it ended up backfiring for those, for those people. And they had less sympathy for those who were um, dealing with that. So again, it's a lot of it is about designing it properly. Yeah. And also just the, the context of teaching it. I mean, game uh i take you know the 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 perspective that games are are text and they need to be taught with the same context that you would anything else you know as as much as i i love to kill a mockingbird you know it's not going to teach you everything about race in america just by itself right you know the, you know there are gaps there are things that you have to to also talk about so you know the same limitations you know are there for games too but um uh, on the on the flip side so what are some of the more successful um, kind of efforts out there that you've seen that, that teachers might want to take a look at for the types of games that do succeed in kind of helping people explore identity um, and, and building empathy and, and awareness? Well, you know, again, it really depends on what they're trying to teach. So, you know, if they're interested, for example, in having students identify their own emotions and identify others' emotions and to be able to connect with people's um, feelings, you know, that Dragon Cancer is a good game for that. Um, it definitely helps people, at least my students, to express themselves and to talk about things that people don't normally talk about, like grief and death and loss. Um, and I think just like being able to start those kinds of conversations in a safe environment is really powerful for adolescents um, and for adults. I mean, adults don't talk about these things either. Um, other games that are... Yeah, I mean, I have not played that Dragon Cancer because I, I literally don't think I could take the emotional hit, you know? Yeah, I mean, a Just... lot of my students um, can't handle it. And, some, you know, it's the, it's one of those games where I say, if you can't, if you can't handle the conversation, you're allowed to leave and you can come back after we're done. And there's always at least a few that need to go and it you know they're really um you know they're tears so um i understand that uh, however i always tell which could be good too is as long which which can be a great experience too if 
you're you know you're in the proper context to 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 want to go through that right and you know sometimes i do have games there was a game that my students played it was just a it was actually like a game a game jam game that i think is wonderful i'll have to look up the game but it's um it's i think it's called the end of us or something like that it's like two meteors or traveling yes. do you know this game i i think i know i i've heard I, I definitely know what you're talking about but yeah, i haven't so played it two meteors traveling along and they're kind of playfully interacting and it's really it's a five minute game it's really short and then at the end uh if, if you don't want spoilers you know turn it off for a few minutes um at the end of the game you have to choose whether or not you want yourself to keep going and and continuing as like a lonely meteor or you want to um, get rid of yourself and then, then your friend is lonely. And it, when we were discussing the game, there were students who were in tears talking about it. So, and it's really, it's just a five minute game, right? So there's, but there was something about it that was evocative and helped, you know, help the students express not only their emotions, but like what, what was it about the design of the game that evoked them. Um, we also, we talk a lot, we do a whole unit on emotions and games. And there's another game called Loneliness, which is also a five minute game. And same kind of thing where you're just playing as a square. You know, you're just this little square and you start to move toward other squares and they, they run away and you can never catch them. And just that game, <laughs> Um, you know, it's so abstract, but it's so evocative and, you know, students are really like depressed when they, like, if they're feeling, um, lonely and sad, it really evokes that feeling of not belonging. Yeah. And, and we talk about, you know, what is it about this very simple game that is able to evoke these very complex emotions? And then I actually end up having the students, uh, design their own games about a complex emotion so I, I give them each a different emotion like love or jealousy or um you know uh grief different different emotions and i i have them create games and then you know they have to see if they could design a game that also evokes those same emotions it's actually a lot harder than it it sounds so you know it's a game design class but it's the kind of thing where you know, teachers could use these games in different ways to help students think through their own emotions or to, to think about like what, why it is that we feel or, you know, what is, you know, why certain interactions make us feel different ways. Now, not all the games are sad. I just talked about some sad games, but some of them are much more, um, you know, they, they might be empowering and, and um, evocative in other ways. Um, so other games that I think are really powerful, like the Mission US series mm -hmm. is great. Um, again, free online series of games where you step back into historical periods. And especially if you're teaching about historical thinking or historical empathy or perspective taking, if you're interested in, inter you know, interpretation or evaluation, there, you know, there's, um, you get to kind of step into the shoes of a character from history, for example, um, the Revolutionary War, the Underground Railroad, um, uh, the turn of the century Im immigration to New York, the 1900, early 1900s. So, I mean, you get to kind of relive this part of history and then um, you get to play as a teenager going through those, um, those interactions and those challenges of that time, which I think is really effective. Um, full disclosure, I worked on the first one, so just think. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> in case anyone's like, wait a minute, you worked on that, so. Yeah, uh, it, it is it is good that it's a show. You know, I found that in games, one of the things that I found really powerful is even when, is, is making the choice as opposed to like kind of the more passive um, experience of a book or, or a movie where you can still feel the emotion, but like when you're responsible for making a choice, even yeah. a simple, even a simple choice, like, you know, uh, you know, abstract squares that that can be uh, a really powerful gateway into, into kind of understanding uh, what it's like. But again, going back to like spent, you know, what, if it, 
reduces it too much, you know, without yeah. context, that can be problematic. So again, you know, this is, this is why, this is why we teach, you know, you have to have a teacher there to, to kind of provide the context and, 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 and tease out, you know, kind of the learning opportunities, you know, they're not magic boxes that you just kind of hit play and, and get, you know, um, a perfect learning experience, which, um, I certainly don't, don't propose, but I think some people might, might, get a little overly enthusiastic in that regard and it's important and and like you said um you know in the report you identify a variety of strengths and, and pitfalls when it comes to games and their ability to explore identity and biases but some of them seem contradictory games can encourage perspective taking but also games can spur and embed biases so what are some of the basic kind of nuances of this area that teachers should think about as they explore using a game to explore identity and biases. Yeah, so I'm actually also writing a book right now on using games to teach ethics and civics. And same thing, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, design principles, for example, like you said, making active choices and um, perspective taking, role taking and uh you know being immersed in a, a story world i mean these are they don't have to be the design that you use to support ethics learning or civics learning but they're you know it's kind of like a toolbox that you might want to use when you're designing or teaching for these, this kind of learning um that said for each of these principles there's always sort of like a flip side so like you said you know, choice can work really well, um, but it can also backfire if people think that, oh, well, you know, getting out of poverty is just a series of choices that I can totally choose correctly and I'd be fine. Um, so it's, um, I think with every, sort of like with every power comes responsibility. Uh, you, uh, the best thing that you can do as a designer or a teacher is to be, transparent about what you're doing to really think the values and the biases that might arise. I mean, any game that you use or create or design in any way are embedded with biases because, you know, it's, it's based on the time and the people who were designing it and where they lived and how they lived and, uh, you know, what they know. And so, it's it's a designed experience and it will you know it, it has um if it's embedded into an ex another experience it's now interacting with the biases of, of that and uh it's not necessarily negative biases they're just it's just the way you know it's the way it was designed and and being transparent to that is what's most important yeah i think that that's really important you know it's it's you know, nothing, nothing is all encompassing. Um, and, you know, you got to definitely be aware of the context and ready to, to discuss those. I mean, you know, no teacher would drop a book or a movie without, you know, having a lot of reflection and conversation and discussion built into it. And the, and the same is, is, is true for games, maybe, maybe even more so, but, but as you said, there's, there's a lot more research to be done. Um, so we're just about all uh, out of time for today. Uh, but so if people wanted to learn more about your work with empathy and games and, and designing them and playing them and teaching them, where, where could they find that? Sure. So I just wanted to clarify that that ADL report uh, was created when I was a fellow working with them. And the report does talk about using games for perspective taking and to kind of like the pros and cons, the strengths and weaknesses of using it for reflecting on your own biases as well. Um, but I, it's also based on a research study that we did where we did a series of game jams and we wanted to understand if not only games themselves could support identity reflection and help us to understand ourselves and connect with others better, but if the process of making games, so game design, could also uh, facilitate that. And definitely feel free to download that free report. It is easily available online. Uh, it's called Designing Ourselves, Identity Bias, Empathy, and Game Design. You can just Google that with ADL and my name. It'll definitely come up. 
Uh, also, yeah, that and everything else will, will definitely be linked in the show notes for you guys as well. Awesome. And then I have a you know a series of learning education and games books that have that are already out, but then we can link to those. And then there's a new one coming out this year. Uh, I have my knowledge games book that has been out for a couple years, and then I'll have my new book hopefully coming out in 2020, and that's using games to teach ethics and civics. Awesome. That sounds like uh, an excellent topic to, to be getting into, especially uh, in today's world. But uh, uh, Dr. Karen Schreier, thank you for coming on the tripod. Thank you.